0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. What an amazing time to be alive. What an awesome time to serve God. What an awesome time when so many people right now, we talked about a few weeks ago, but so many people right now have such trepidation and have such fear or such uncertainty or anxiety when they look at the, the the times ahead of them and we have an opportunity right now to be people of peace that we can look towards the future not that we have to have every answer you understand you don't have to have an answer for everything you just have to know who the answer is like the older i get the longer i walk with god the more i find myself saying i don't i don't know i'm not sure about that and it kind of freaks people out sometimes, right? Because when you become a pastor, God gives you this special book that has every answer. And so they think you should just run to your special book. There is a special book. We all have it. It has every answer. I just haven't discovered all of them yet. This is Word. But it's okay to look at people and say, I don't know. But I still know that it's going to be okay. Well, how can you say that when this, 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 and this, I don't know? Because the peace that I have, it passes understanding. In other words, it's not because I understand everything, it's because I have a peace that's greater than my ability to understand. If my peace is based on my ability to understand, I have such a limited peace. It's so tiny and it's so fragile because it's only as great as my intellect. But if I believe in someone and something greater than myself, then I can say, I don't understand why I have this peace. I just have it. It's okay to say that to people. Well, how can you say that when this, 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 and this, you know, and they want to drag you into an argument and they want you to bring you, they want to bring you to their level of fear. And they think, well, you just don't understand. You're naive. If you understood or if you knew what I know, then you would feel the way that I feel because they can't even fathom someone knowing what they know, but not feeling what they feel. That's how we become a sign and wonder to the world. When we know the things that they know, but we don't feel the way that we fe- they feel because we can't imagine our future apart from the promises of God. See, they're seeing a future completely void of His promises. And when you look at things void of God, listen, it doesn't matter if it's the future. Listen to me. It does not matter if it's the future or the past. When you examine them apart from the promises of God, it will always lead you to a place of fear and uncertainty. If you examine your past apart from God, it's a a mess. I mean, maybe not you guys, but the podcast people and me not the saints in this room but the people listening to the podcast when they look at their past it's a mess a lot of times and if we were to judge ourselves by who we were apart from the presence of God and what God's done and how he's changed us in the blood of Jesus it would be a pretty uh, dismal outlook it'd be pretty bleak in the same way if we imagine our future apart from him it can be really 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 scary but we have to become so grounded in Him and so so trusting in Him and so believing His Word that we can't even imagine something in the future apart from saying, yeah, but God. Yeah, but God. I'll, I'll see your financial forecasts. I'll see your foreign policy concerns and i'm not saying that it's you know just to be ignorant of them i'm not saying that it's okay for christians to to stay up on things and to to be involved in things even but i am saying don't get so involved in them that you leave behind the greater truth which is but god all right i I thought that was a good word this morning so i'm excited about yeah all right Corey does too so we're two or three agree on anything um but so we're going to follow up a little bit on last week how many of you guys were here last week heard the message and really felt like it was for them that was one of those messages seriously where I think like 70% of the church came to me or or messaged me or if they could find me said um I I just want you to know that message was just for me (laughs) and I thought you are so special just like everyone else But a bunch of people said, man, I felt like the message was just for me. And I knew that it was, because when he woke me up that morning, and started speaking something different than he had the week, uh, than I, than he had the night before that I had ready to preach. I knew it was something that was for right now. And then as I was going through the message, he kind of gave me... Can I just share something real quick with you guys? Is that okay before we launch into this thing? Um, I'm going to anyway, so just say yes, then you'll be on the winning team. <laughs> and your side will be right. Um, but... A lot of times when he gives me a message, it's something that he's been kind of depositing into me for months at a time, weeks at a time, and I just make little notes, my, my phone's so full of little voice prompts or notes or whatever, and then eventually I'll, I'll feel like it's time to put that all together into a message, I'll sit down, I'll put it together into a message, I'll get up here and then I'll completely talk about something else, usually, or at least stray so far from it that I don't even remember what the notes said. But, um, but this time was different, I sat on my couch uh, early in the morning last Sunday And He brought me through each part of the message by showing me a part of my life that he was applying that to or that he was talking about and how that had worked in my life. And I just sat there writing down little snippets of my life and then he kept bringing me up to a Bible verse and showing me something and saying, this is why, this is why, that was what was happening, this is what I was doing. By the time I got done with the message, I was so excited, I was ready to preach it to my couch. I couldn't wait. Like I love worship, but I was like, all right, y'all, get done. Seriously, and uh, so I, w- I want to follow up on that a little bit. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to, to get the podcast and listen to it. We talked about, um, we talked about how, how just our life goes through seasons, and that sometimes if we're not careful, we'll look back on past seasons and we'll rem- romanticize our past. We'll remember only the good, or we will judge ourselves by ourselves, meaning we'll look back and say, I used to do this, I used to do this, I used to do that, and now I'm not and so there's something wrong with me and the enemy will come and say, yeah, you can't be because you used to and remember that time when and, and we have to understand that, listen, this is not talking about if we're living in sin. We talked about that, Okay. So, so just before you have any questions about that. But if I'm loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul, like His Word instructs, and I'm loving people as myself, then I can trust that if He has me in a season where I'm not doing the things I used to do, it's not because I'm living in rebellion or He's abandoned me or because I'm lukewarm or I'm backslidden or any of those things. It could be that He's trying to teach me something for the season that's coming that I can't learn if I'm busy doing all these things. It's like Martha and Mary, right? Right? Martha's so busy cleaning up in the kitchen and and preparing and, and the food and all that stuff. And Jesus said, you know, you're worried about all these things. But right now, Mary has chosen the one thing that's important and it won't be taken from her. What was that? He was speaking. It was time to listen. It's not that making food, it's not that doing the things Martha was doing was wrong. It's just it wasn't time for that. And to the world looking in, Mary looks lazy because she's sitting down doing nothing while her sister's doing all these things. And if we were to judge ourselves by other people, or if we were to judge ourselves by the times when I used to do all those things, we would miss out on the fact that right now I'm right where God wants me, sitting at His feet, listening to Him speak. And when He's done speaking, there will be plenty of time for me to go do all those things. But if I try to make myself live like I used to live, just for the sake of comparing myself to who I used to be, Or because I look back on a season and I remember the fruit of it. See, that's with a sincere heart, that's not evil. Like with a sincere heart, you look back on your past and you remember times when you did this and you did this and you did this. And because you love people and because you love God and because you want to serve Him, you want to be used, you look back at those times and if you're not careful, you start to think, that's what it looked like for me to follow God. And you'll try to bring back something that He's taken you out of because He has something else for you. And you'll miss out on what's next trying to recreate the past. That's not remembering well that's not remembering well that's that's not trusting that there's something ahead that's greater than what was behind and so if that's you and you you know and you'd say we talked about this last week a little bit but I should, for people who are here if you would say like you know there's no like i'm not living in sin um i'm not living in disobedience and rebellion to god like it, i'm i'm doing to the best of my ability what i feel like he's called me to do i'm not living in sin i'm not allowing a habit of sin into my life, not that I'm living perfectly, not that something doesn't come out of my mouth that shouldn't, or, but I'm not living in sin. I'm not practicing sin. And I'm, and I'm walking in obedience to the best that I know. Then just relax with the season that you're in and enjoy it. And don't try to think that you have to go back and recreate that season when or that time when. You know, I'm tempted to do that sometimes. I talked about when when I look back at seasons like, you know, when I was chaplain in the hockey team or when we were doing homeless outreach all the time. And, you know, you saw just such fruit from that stuff. And you start to think, well, I'm not seeing that kind of fruit in that area right now. But you realize there's so much other fruit happening in other areas. Or that sometimes God's preparing you for a season and He just wants you to rest a little bit. Remember He said to the disciples... You guys, like this is how changed the disciples are. In, in the third chapter of Mark, Jesus hasn't eaten because he's so busy ministering and the disciples think he's crazy. Three chapters later in Mark 6, he has to tell them, hey guys, let's go away and get away to someplace quiet so that you can eat. Like their lives become so changed by following Jesus that things they once thought were crazy become normal to them and he has to remind them to eat rather than them telling him to eat when we follow him we become more like him but it's okay if you're in a season of rest don't frantically try to recreate something that was and miss out on what he has ahead for you um so so we talked about that and we talked about you know how if we're not careful we'll look back on the past in a toxic way you know and we'll, we'll romanticize it we'll idolize it even sometimes we'll idolize our past and the children of Israel did that, right? They look back, remember? They're like, man, it was better in Egypt. Like the land of slavery, suffering, and persecution. It represents absolute evil. And they look back at it because they don't understand that God's bringing them into something greater because right now they're in a wilderness where they, don't, they can't work. You realize they could not work in the wilderness. All they could do was gather manna and they couldn't even store it up. So it's not like they could build buildings. God did that, I believe, because He didn't want them doing anything that would involve them having to build structures or try to create systems all these different things that we feel so pressured to do sometimes he said listen here's how it's going to work you're just going to walk where i tell you to walk you're going to rest when i tell you to rest and you're going to pick up food that i bring down from the sky it'll be enough to sustain you for the day don't worry about tomorrow don't worry about building barns don't worry about trying to store it if you try to store it it will rot you can't store it i made it that way so that all you can do right now in this season is just rely on me do what I tell you to do next, and you can't work, you can't do all the things that you did in Egypt, not because you're never going to do that again, but because I'm going to bring you into a land that's better than where you were. And right now, I just want you to rest and relax and prepare for what's next. If we're not careful, especially in our culture, We will feel like, man, if I'm not doing anything like that like I used to do. Now I'm not talking about, you know, I don't pray, I don't read the word, I don't spend time with him, I don't, you know, those things we do not because we have to, we do those things because we want to. If that's the case and there's no desire for him in our hearts, that's something totally different. But if following him with a pure heart and totally desiring him leads us to a season where we're just kind of resting. And we're not exactly sure what's coming next. It's okay. Just enjoy that season and don't miss out on the what he has for you during that time because I promise you there's something else coming next. And the Israelites didn't realize that. And because of that, they're like, they look back to a land where they were forced, but you know what? They were building something. Even though it was slave labor, they were actually doing something that looked like it was constructive and productive. We're conditioned like that as humans, we want to be doing something. So they look back at slave labor. And they say, man, it was better for us in Egypt. At least we had lemons and garlic there. Their food probably was bland. Lemons and garlic, that's what they flavored their food with. You know, manna was probably bland. It was probably pretty plain. Sometimes the season that you're in with God is just real plain. It's not flashy and exciting. It's okay. Don't try to flavor it with the things of the past. Because if you do, you'll miss out on what he has ahead for you. See, they wanted lemons and garlic, and he's going, no, 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 I have milk and honey. I have something different. Notice that it was lemons and garlic, milk and honey. Two things from the past, two things in the future. Both things used to flavor things. Both things are things that you add to your food. It makes it awesome, right? You take Oreos, you dip them in milk, and now suddenly it's, it's way more awesome than it was separately. It's the truth. Unless you hold it too long. (laughs) Then you get that grody Oreo cup at the bottom. And if you eat it with a spoon, don't confess that to anybody. (laughs) That's gross. You reach a point of oversaturation, guys, and it's not good anymore. But, But no, seriously, though, think about it. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, don't look back to lemons and garlic. That was for a time. Look forward to milk and honey, because that's what's next. And so we we talked all about that. But I do want to talk about the fact that there is a value in being able to look back and remember. Now that we've talked about the unhealthy ways that we do it, let's talk about the healthy ways that we look back and remember things. Um, um, So open your Bibles up. Let's see to Judges chapter 6. We're going to read there in a minute. But first... um, so the, the children of israel, when when God was bringing them out of you know once they kind of got out of the unhealthy phase of of looking back you know where they 're looking back longingly toward Egypt and they started actually walking towards. When they, when God would do something, He would reveal something. He would show them something. He would show up on their behalf. He would, you know, fight a battle. They would build a monument to Him. Everybody knows what those were, right? Like they would build them. Sometimes when He, remember when He crossed, when He parted the Jordan River and they crossed, they built a monument so that when they looked back, they would remember. What was that for? It wasn't so that when they got scared, they would run back to that monument and try to live their life at the place where God had parted the Jordan River. See, that's the unhealthy way that we do things is we try to run back to that time or run back to that place and say, well, God was there and God did something. So if I'm if I'm looking forward and I see another situation that looks like it's impossible, then the best thing for me to do is run back to the place where God was. But they don't understand God was no longer there. He didn't stay where they built a monument. The monument was only to show them, listen, remember what I did so that when you turn back around and you look forward, you do it in the knowledge of the things that I've done. Not so that you'll sit there with your backs to what's ahead of you, looking back longingly at that monument or even starting to walk back towards it. When we become, when we become uh, uh, so f- conscious of our past, even the good things in our past where they dominate what we see, we're tempted a lot of times to go back to the places where we built those monuments and say, well, God was there. He might have been there, but He might not be there anymore. And He may be moving on to another place and you can spend the rest of your life at that river crossing waiting for Him to show up and part the river like He did before and He's never going to do it again because that was only to get you from where you were to where He wanted you. He's never coming back there to do that again because He has no intention of you going back the other way. That was to take you from somewhere to another place. But it's cool, and it was good for them to build a monument there so that the next time they were looking at something, they could look back and remember what God had done so that they would then look forward in the memory and in the mindset of God did this, surely He will. Why? Because the things that God did for them weren't simply so that they could have a cool story. When God does something in your life, it's not just that you have a cool story. It's awesome to have a cool story to share with people, but it's actually to change the way that you think so that your thinking becomes different because of the revelation of who he is so that when you look forward, you can't see things the way you did before you knew him that way, because now every time you look forward, you remember what you learned about who he is in that time. Otherwise, it just becomes this cool story that we put on Facebook or Twitter and everybody likes it and congratulates us for it. But it just becomes some story that we tell. If it doesn't actually change the way that we think, then it doesn't do everything that He intended for it to do. It wasn't just about building a monument. The monument was so that then they looked forward, they would remember what He had done and believe that He would do it again. And sometimes in our lives, like I'm, just, I'm talking about me personally. Sometimes in my life, I start thinking like the rabbit's been pulled out of the hat one too many times like god has a limited supply and so because god did this or because god did that now when i look towards the future i'm not really sure if he'll do it again like like maybe i was blessed to the point of like the end of my blessings i've been tempted to think that because in the past like three years me and patty have been so blessed with with financial stuff and like with, with provision and vehicles and stuff like that. We have been so blessed that I promise you there's a little bit of thinking in me that tries to creep up and say, well, that's the last time. Like you're on your own from here. I promise. Because I didn't see it always as a revelation of who God is. I saw it just strictly as something that He did. And if I only see the things he does as acts that he did rather than revelations of who he is, that's why I said to Moses, I have made known my ways. They knew my acts, but Moses knew my ways. What is the difference in those two words? One is Moses knew why I did what I did and knew who I was and where I was taking them. They just simply saw the things that happened along the way. And so, but there was. There was a temptation in me. Every time that something happened where we were blessed, there was this little thought when we faced the next thing to think, well, you, you can't expect that God to just do something like He did again. You, you, I mean, come on. Look at all the blessings you've got already. It's almost... I, I like literally felt myself struggling a little bit with condemnation. Like it's almost greedy for you to expect him to do something else for you when he's already done this much. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like think about it. It's like I almost feel greedy asking for this God, but because of everything you've already done and, and then I know people who maybe you haven't done something like that before and, and I'm trying to figure this out and I'm thinking, well, well maybe, maybe I, I'm done and maybe I should just earn it from here on out. And then he does something else. And then the next time, the temptation's even stronger to think that way. Like, okay. For real, real. And then he does it again. And then the next time you're like, oh my goodness. And then you start getting embarrassed. Then you get blessed and you go, I don't know if I should tell anybody this. (laughs) Seriously. I'm struggling with that, just being honest. Like, this is exciting. I want to share what God did. But on the same hand, like, it's almost a little embarrassing. Yeah. And I think that when we do that, what we're saying is, I see His acts but I didn't catch the revelation of who He is. I just caught it as something that He did. It didn't really change my, my thinking of who He is as much as it just impressed me with what He can do. And I think when God did things for the Israelites, it was to show them who He was, not just so that they would be impressed with what He could do. So... Um, I'm so far out in left field right now. Oh... <laughs> So if you all right, so if you have your Bible and and oh, I, I did want to say this like when he reveals himself, it, it's always because he has something that he wants you to understand or know about him because of something he has for you in the future. So with Moses. He reveals himself in a burning bush. Why? Because Moses is going to have to go and talk to people. He's first going to have to talk to his brother Aaron. Then he's going to have to talk to the tribal leaders. And then he's going to have to talk to all the people. And then he's going to have to talk to Pharaoh. And every time he faced a new challenge of who he was going to have to tell this to, that basically, we're leaving here. They're going to bless us as we go. Think about this. Like That wasn't a little deal to tell the slaves of a nation who had been enslaved for 400 years. Like every generation was another generation that had been born into slavery and died in slavery. And the next generation was born into slavery and their ancestors were born into slavery and died in slavery. And pretty soon that slavery mentality just became part of who they were. Like that first generation remembered what it was like to be free. But every generation further from the first generation had no clue what freedom even looked like that it was possible or what life even looked like outside of slavery. And now Moses has to go to the first to his brother, right? He says, I can't talk. God says, well, okay. I'll send Aaron with you. So he has to go to Aaron. Aaron, um, I was walking. I saw a burning bush. It spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me through the burning bush. I took my shoes off. And then He spoke to me and said that He's going to tell me to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let all of the people go. Yes, I drank water. I promise. I'm not dehydrated it was water no not wine the bush was the lord it was burning he spoke to me and not only that but you're going to come with me and you're actually going to speak on my behalf because i was so nervous i said i can't go i can't even speak straight he said that's okay i'll send aaron with you no you have to right and you just picture this so the first time it's just to aaron the next time he has to go with aaron now to the leader's Now it's a bigger deal, right? Now it's not just his brother who knows him. Now it's to a group of leaders who are powerful people who don't know him as well as everybody else and say, listen, uh, hey, I know. know. I've been gone for 40 years. I know. I killed someone. I left. I was a murderer. I'm wanted. I know all that stuff. But you have to understand, God's going to use me and my brother Aaron, who's going to speak on my behalf, to go and talk to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Yes, I was drinking water. And now he has to go to the people and tell the people, and finally it ends up with him having to go to Pharaoh. And all along the way, God is doing these things, like him throwing his staff on the ground, it becomes a serpent, he picks it back up, it comes to a staff. It wasn't so that he was impressed with what God could do, as much as it was so that he would know who God is. So that when he went, he would have a confidence in who God was, not just a story about what God did. See, if all we gain from an experience with God is just a story about what God did rather than a revelation of who God is, it's not going to help us the next time we face something. And so the next time he faces something, he does another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing, and he does it with Moses first. And you know what? There may be times when someone in your life who's a leader, who's someone that you're following, or someone you're submitted to in an area, may have an understanding that God's given them before you, but it's never only for them, and you are never meant to live simply off someone else's revelation. Because what's the first thing that God did when he brought him out? What's the first thing he did? He parts the Red Sea. In front of who? Everyone. Why? Because what he's saying is what Moses knows, you have to know too. Because if you're going to follow him, you have to understand who I am so that you'll trust him because you trust me. Not so that you simply blindly walk behind Moses trusting that God spoke to him outside of in a bush one time. It's always for everyone. It may come to the leader first. But He always wants you to understand and you to have that understanding of who He is. And for you to trust Him too. So that you're not blindly following a man. So that you're following God, trusting that He's speaking to this man or He's speaking to this woman or He's speaking to these people. So He brings the whole people in front of the sea to a place where they can't go across. There's no wood. They can't build boats. All those things. He brings them there. They stand in front of it. The Israelites are coming, they can see the cloud of dust behind them. As, as I mean, Egyptians are coming, they can see the cloud of dust behind them, and they are trapped between where they were and death. And then God says, Moses, extend your staff. And he extends his staff, the ocean parts, the Israelites walk through, and every one of them has an encounter with God that they're supposed to take with them for the rest of the time. But what happened? They became impressed with what God did. But they didn't understand that that wasn't just Him showing them what He could do. It was Him showing them who He was. I will be your protector. That was what they were supposed to learn from that. not. Well, that Moses knows a God. That Moses has the power. That Moses' God will do this. It's no. He wanted them to understand, I am your God, and I will protect you. And even if you don't see how, if you just do what I've called you to do, I'll make a way. Why? Because there were going to be so many other times when they found themselves in positions that they themselves couldn't navigate through that they were going to have to trust Him. So the first thing He tries to do is say, listen to me. You have to learn to trust Me. And if you trust me, I will protect you. You don't have to figure it out. You notice he brought them through a desert to an ocean. Why? There's nothing you can do on your own. There's no wood to build boats. You can't even make paddle boards and try to swim across. And you've got your weight down with gold. Why? Because they chased you down and they stuffed their pockets with gold. They blessed them as they went. Their pockets are full of gold. They've got all their camels and their their cattle. They've got the sheep. They've got everything with them. They've got little children. They've got babies. They can't swim across. He brings them to an impossible situation and says, I'm going to show you who I am so that you will never again have the ability to look ahead and see something scary, see something that looks impossible without remembering who I am. And there were very few of the Israelites that actually understood who God was because of what He did. They let it become a story they told about what God did, but they didn't let it become part of who they thought God was. And because of that, every time they found themselves in a situation, they found themselves in the exact same place thinking, God brought us out here to die. What are they saying? We saw what He did, but we don't believe He'll do it again. Why? Because they saw it as a single act rather than a revelation of who God was. When God's done those things in your life, it's not just so that you have a story. Awesome, tell the story, but let it change your thinking about who He is and who He wants to be for you. Otherwise, you're wasting a huge part of why He did it. It's not so that you can be panicked. Listen, if you can look at the same situation with the same panic after God comes through once, all you're saying is, I don't really trust Him. That's it. You can put fancy language on it. You can say whatever you want. You can call it, well, you know, I'm just being real. I'm just being a realist. I don't want to live in denial. You can put all kinds of fancy language on it and spin it however you want to. But what is coming out of your mouth is I don't believe that He is the same God today that He was yesterday and that the things He's done before that He will do again. All right. Are you guys at Judges 6 yet? So God comes to to Gideon through an angel. All right, remember Gideon's hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. They're being persecuted by their enemies, and every time the every time they would come and raid the cities, they would take everything that they had. And so Gideon decides, I'm going to hide myself down in a wine press so that I can thresh down there, so that I'll be safe, and so that not that my stuff won't get taken because I'll defend it. Not, they won't take my stuff because I'm a courageous man and they'll look at me and realize that there's easier people to take wheat from. Those that have been noble things. No, he says, they won't come and take my wheat because they won't see it because I'll be hiding. And so the angel of the Lord appears to him, right? And we all know this, this, this verse gets talked about a lot. But he says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon knows that's not true, at least at the moment because he's hiding he's not doing anything valiant in fact he's at the moment being cowardly and i honestly believe that because of that gideon had a hard time believing that it was the lord because if the angel would have came to him and said gideon you wimp why are you hiding because what the angel was saying lined up with what gideon believed about himself he probably would have had an easier time believing that the angel was from the lord But God is not interested in speaking to us based on the ideas that we have about ourselves. He speaks to us based on who He knows that we are and who He's going to cause us to become. Some of us would have a lot easier time receiving the things that God says to us if they lined up with what we felt about ourselves. I have a newsflash for you. He's never going to change His mind about you. He is never going to adjust the way that He speaks to you or the way that He sees you based on the things that you're currently doing. He's always going to talk to you as the person that He created you to be. So Gideon says, oh, I know it's you. You're talking to an angel. Like, this makes me think that maybe they were way more common than we think that they are, that it wasn't, like, as, as weird. Because if, if an angel showed up and started talking to me, it doesn't even matter if he called me, hey, Roy, you, you know, you giant, tall, you know, if he called me things that I didn't believe about myself, if an angel's speaking to me, I'd probably think it's God. But not Gideon well, how do I know that you're, this is the Lord? It makes me think that maybe, maybe interaction with angels was a bit more common back then. Or maybe it was a bit more expected back then. So, so picking up in, in chapter 6, uh, verse 17, it says, So Gideon said to him, If now I've found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it's you who speak with me. God's probably in heaven going, um, I kind of sent you an angel. Show me a sign that it's you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come back to you and bring out my offering and lay it before you. And he said, I will remain until you return. Then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from the ephah of flour. He, brought, he put the meat in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them to him under the oak and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it the Lord is Peace. To this day, it's still an opera of the Abazarites. Now on the same night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and a second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal which belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. God, I just thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's alive. That as we read it today, Your Spirit speaks to us. and We don't just see this as something that You've done, God, but we see this as a revelation of who You are. That when we see You, that it changes the way that we think, the way we believe, and the what we expect. I just thank You for that in Jesus' name. So this encounter with the Lord was pretty amazing. He, he sees an angel... And then he goes and gets food. He puts it on a rock. He pours broth over it. Something about making it wet. Something about God doing things in a way where it's like there's no way that it could have happened except for it being the Lord. Like it wasn't enough for Elijah to call down fire. He had to soak the altar first. And so he pours the broth all over it and he puts the bread out there and fire springs up from a rock. Consumes everything. this wasn't just so that Gideon would then have a story to go tell people about the time that God consumed his offering with fire from a rock. If he does that, he misses the entire point of why God's doing this. God said, listen, I want to show you something. I'm going to give you an experience. I'm going to give you an encounter with me. I'm going to do something for you. But it's because I have something that I want you to do. And I want you to go in the knowledge of who I am and I'll prove myself to you so that when you go, you won't be afraid. So here's what I want you to do. Your father and your family have gone astray and they're, they're, they are worshiping Baal. I want you to go there and I want you to tear down the altar. And I want you to tear down the very thing that they were worshiping and I want you to use that as fire to consume the sacrifice that I'm going to have for you. And so Gideon, fresh off this experience with the Lord, does, it does exactly what the Lord wanted it to. It gives him a courage and a boldness to go forward and do the thing that God's called him into. So it says... Then Gideon took ten of his ser- ten men of his servants and did as Laura spoken to him. But guess what the rest of the verse says? And because he was too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, he did it by night. We have to get over the thinking that encountering God or experiencing something of God or an experience with God changes everything about us in an instant and that we'll never ever again have anything that we struggle with. We'll never have fear again or that we'll do everything perfectly from that moment on. And we have to stop looking at ourselves and wondering, well, if, if I believe, then how come this? How come that? God's not in heaven going, uh, uh, Gideon, I never told you to go at night and because you're afraid, I'm going to smite you. See, we have this idea sometimes that like God's in heaven with this huge strict standard that the minute we see something of Him, the minute we experience Him, the minute we encounter Him, that everything changes and from that moment forward, there's never any problems, there's never any fear, that we are completely 100% changed in an instant and we never ever think like we used to think and there's no way that I could ever be afraid of men after I've just had a conversation with an angel. How many of you guys have felt like that? Like, yeah, this is is what the enemy will do. So he'll come to you and say, well, if you really believe, then how come? And he'll try to get you with a sincere heart to doubt yourself. It's why when you sin, he tries to bring condemnation. Why? What's he trying to do? He's trying to get you to change what you believe about who God says that you are. So you're trying to live pure and holy because you want to please the Lord. Not because you think you have to to make him happy, but because you want to please him because he's really changed your life. And then you do something that you know is wrong, and rather than than hearing the words of Jesus, then neither do I condemn you, we hear the words of the enemy. Well, if you call yourself a Christian, then how come you, right? And they start to try to get you to justify, and then he'll start to condemn you. And if you'll start along that line of thinking, you'll start to feel like, man, I don't know if I'm even changed. I don't know if I'm actually a Christian. Am I really even born again? And now condemnation sinks in. How can you tell other people about a God that changed your life when you and all of a sudden now you can't even stand in front of people with a clear conscience and preach the Gospel because you're so conscious of the one thing that you did wrong that you've forgotten about everything Jesus did right. So it says, because He was afraid of, the, of His Father's household and the men of the city to do it by day, He did it by night. Listen. Even if you're afraid, even if your hands are shaking, if your heart is pounding, and even if you don't do it like everyone else thinks that you should, acting on what God's called you to will always lead you to a place of more. Don't condemn yourself because you did it with shaking hands and there was a little bit of fear, so you snuck in and did it by night. God celebrates the fact that you did it. He doesn't condemn you for the fact that you had to go at night because you still were a little afraid of the men of your father's household. That voice that tells you you didn't do good enough is not the Father. That's right. It's not. That's right. It's the enemy. Why? Because He wants to get you off track and He wants you to disqualify yourself because He understands that what God called you to then was not the end, that He has more for you. And if He can disqualify you now, He can keep you from the next thing that God's called you into. There will always be, it does not matter how well you follow God, how well you serve Him, how well you obey Him, there will always be a voice that tells you it wasn't good enough. It's not the Father. What, his voice over us is what? This is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, whom I'm well pleased. Does that mean that He loves everything that you do? No. It just means that He doesn't change His mind about you because of what you've done or haven't done. See, we got to understand that, that, that God's a better father than we are. I could get mm, at some of the things my kids do sometimes. I, yeah, not you, Jackson. I'm talking about Aaliyah. <laughs> Wait, Aaliyah's in here too. Not you guys. When we watch other people's kids. No, but seriously, This is, this is the easiest way to understand this is that I can watch my son doing the thing I told him not to do. I can watch my daughter doing the thing I told them not to do and hate that they're doing that and the whole time be so in love with them. And never lose sight of who they are. And never allow myself to think anything but love towards them. Even though I might have to punish them and discipline them because of the thing that they've done. And that's the same way the Father looks at you. He's never once looked at you, even while you were in the middle of doing the exact opposite of what He called you to do. And had anything towards you but love. The whole time He could hate the thing that you're doing. But He's never hated you. He's never despised you. And why does he hate the thing you're doing? It's not because he's in heaven offended, going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that after what I told him. It's because he understands where the consequence of your actions and where that's going to take you. And he hates that for you. And he's hurt for you. But he's not in heaven hurt by you. And he calls us to live the same way. You realize there's a place that you can live where people can treat you the exact opposite of the way that they should, and rather than being hurt and offended by them, you can actually look at them and love them even though you hate the way that they're treating you because you understand the only way they would treat you that way is if there's something so wrong inside of them. If they saw what you saw, they would never act the way that they're acting. So why would you have anything but pity, but mercy, but compassion towards them? Why would you ever respond to them the way that they're talking to you? I did it yesterday. I did. I did it yesterday. I had a guy that got so upset with me because it was the holiday season and I didn't respond to him fast enough about something that he wanted to buy for me. And he just went off on me. And I kind of responded the same way back to him. I did. And then the Holy Spirit you know five foot package said you shouldn't have done that and i tried to justify why i did it and i told her well i wasn't really responding to him i was responding to what he said and i couldn't believe he really felt that way and all those things And i sat there quiet for a minute and i looked at her and said you're right you're right so what then So what do we do when we've done something that we know that we shouldn't? Do we beat ourselves up? Do we condemn ourselves? Do we say, I can't believe I did that after all this time or after everything that I said? Or how can I preach tomorrow when I do this tonight? If you don't think those thoughts go through my head, you're crazy. Because the enemy's not going to leave me alone because somebody called me a pastor He's probably going to come after me just as much as He does you. And so those thoughts start rolling through my head. How can you preach a gospel? How can you say this when you did that? And here's the only thing that I can rely on. If we sin, we have, one, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is our advocate before the Father. And so what do I do? God, for one thing, thank You for convicting me and correcting me. Thank you for my wife. That's why it's so important to have people in our lives that will actually call us out when we do something that we shouldn't. That aren't so impressed with us as a person that they're afraid to call us out when we do something that we shouldn't do. And if you're married, I promise you He'll use your spouse over and over and over again. And don't pray for God to change them. Thank Him. And let it change you. And so, God... And it bothered me the more I thought about it. Then a few minutes later I said, man, I, oh, that hurts that I did that. I hate that I did that. I tried to make it right, but I couldn't because the guy had, had cut me off his contact, So I couldn't even contact him anymore. I know. I know. But what can I do? I can thank God. God, I thank you that there was a time where I would respond to somebody like that and feel good about it. But that you're actually changing me to where that hurts my heart. God, thank you that I'm no longer the person who takes joy in being able to respond to somebody better than they responded to me. That I'm no longer the person that takes joy in having a better comeback than the one that they came at me with. God, I thank you that I don't want to win arguments. I want to win people's hearts. God, I thank you that you have so changed me that this bothers me because there was a time where I would have done that and not thought twice about it, but now it breaks my heart. And what am I doing? I'm actually acknowledging who He is, acknowledging what I did was wrong. I'm repenting. I'm changing the way that I think, which is what the word repent means. And I'm saying, God, the next time someone responds like that to me, help me to respond to them in love the way Jesus would respond to me when I did something that He didn't want me to do. Help me to be more like You, God. Help me to yield Your Spirit. Help me to take 10 seconds and pray before I start typing. Huh? Come on. Thirty seconds, three days. It doesn't matter however long you need to take. Take some time. You many times I've wrote stuff and then deleted everything? That's God. Because there was a time where I didn't have a delete button. If I thought it and I wrote it, or I thought it, I'd said it, and it came out of my mouth, and there was no filter, there was no check. If I thought especially if it was the truth. But they just need to know the truth. You have in love, and until you can do it in love, they don't need the truth from you. (laughs) He's had to change my heart on that too. I'm saying all that to say this, listen, just because you didn't do exactly the way someone else did, just because you still had a little bit of fear, just because you decided to go at night rather than the middle of the day, the fact that you were obedient is what matters to God. The voice of condemnation that says you didn't do good enough is not Him. All right, I'm just going to jump to this, and the rest of this stuff we'll get to next week. But, But sometimes when you're at a low point, a simple memory of what he's like or something that he's done can change everything. So think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son is at about the low point of his life. He's come to the end, of, uh, the end of himself, he's come to the end of the finances he took from the Father, he's spent his inheritance, he's at about the lowest point that a person could get to. He's living in a pig pen, and he's having to, to wish that he had the food that he's feeding the pigs. He's literally starving, he has nothing, he has no one, he's surrounded himself with filth. He's at the lowest point of his life that he's ever been at. And suddenly he says, I remember what it was like in my father's house. And here's why I want us to remember this. Because he remembers what it's like in his father's house, he says, I should go there. But because he doesn't understand who the father is, he says, I'll go to him and say, make me as one of your hired servants. See, if we, if we believe it's better in the kingdom, but we don't understand the heart of the king towards us, we'll think that we have to go and work our way back into the position that we left when we walked away. And we'll see His kingdom. We'll see the great stuff that's there. And he's, what is He saying? He says, even the servants there lived... What is He saying? He's saying, even the least... Even the servants live better than I'm living right now. So I'll go back to my father's house. That's great. That's awesome. Listen, having a, a memory of what it was like in the kingdom was enough to get him from where he was and put him on the path walking back to where the father wanted him. That's awesome. But the way that we know he didn't understand his father's heart is this. One, if he did, he would have never left. Because he, he would have understood everything the father has for me will be mine when I'm ready for it and then it'll be right. Sometimes we think that God's holding out on us because He just doesn't want to give to us. And He's holding out because the blessing that we want from Him would be a curse to us because we're not prepared to steward it wisely. And if the Son would have understood that, He would have never asked the Father for all His stuff and left. He would have realized if the Father hasn't given it to me, it's not because He doesn't want to. It's because I'm not prepared to steward it well. But He didn't understand His Father's heart. That's why He demanded to have all the money and left. And you can tell he didn't know his father's heart because when he looks back towards the kingdom, he thinks, I'll go to him and I'll say, Father, I have sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants that I may work in your house. What is he saying? I'm not worthy to be a son, but I at least maybe can get back my foot in the door by working my way back into my father's good graces. So he goes towards the father and we all know what happens. The father overwhelms him and he cuts him off before he gets the part out about make me as one of your hired servants. Why? God has no interest in listening to your plan of how you're going to work your way back into something that belongs to you as a son, as a daughter. He doesn't even want to hear it. He says, Father, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And as soon as the father hears that, he thinks to himself, whatever's coming next is wrong because that's wrong. Because he thinks that being called my son is based on the things that he's done and his worthiness. So whatever comes out of his mouth next is going to be so far from the truth because his understanding of me is based on him thinking he has to earn his way back into my graces rather than understanding that he is in my grace because he's my son. So he cuts him off. Puts the robe, the ring, the shoes. Brings him back. Does all that he does for him. And every bit of it started with the Son remembering what it was like in the Father's house. You can have healthy memories. You just can't live there. You can have a healthy memory of what God's done, but you can't let let that be the extent of it. That has to turn you around and start you walking towards the Father's house. See, if all the son does is daydream about what it was like in the father's house, he's still going to live with the pigs until it actually spurs him to go and do something. If all that the Israelites remember is God parting the sea, they'll camp out by the sea waiting for God to do what's next and they'll miss out on the next thing He has for them. It's okay to look back and remember as long as it makes us turn around and head towards what was next with expectancy. This is what God said to the people of Israel. He said, when you come into the land, you will see a people that you say is greater than us. He said, you'll say this. This will come out of your mouth. You'll look at the land that I'm giving you and you'll say, these people are too great for us. How can we ever conquer them? What's he saying? I know what's going to come out of your mouth. It's not going to be faith. I don't condemn you for that. It's okay that you look and you don't understand and you don't believe that you'll be able to do it. But when that happens, what does He say? Remember well what the Lord did to the other enemies that you faced. And believe that He will do that to these as well. And will give you the land. That's how we remember well. It's to look back and remember what God did and then go forward expecting that the God that did that is going to do it again. Even if it looks differently, He's still the same. This is what he said to him. He said, Listen, we have to, like, maybe it's just me, but I have this idea that, like, the things that come from my mouth have to be worded perfectly. And if I was to say, Oh my gosh, these people are greater than me and I can't possess the land, God would be like, You have no faith. He said, Listen, that's going to come out of your mouth. That's okay. As long as the next thing that happens is that you remember the fact. That there were other times when people were greater than you that you couldn't take on, and remember what I did and go forward and trust that I'll do it again. That's how we remember well. It's not by looking back and wishing we were who we were, it's looking back and remembering who we were so that it encourages us into who He's calling us to be. Remember well. Good call, jacks God, I thank You for the ability that we have to remember well. God, I thank You that we can remember everything that You've done, God, but that we don't get stuck there. We don't try to go back to where we were, God. That we keep moving forward, trusting that the same God who was there then will be there today. God, I just ask for anybody who looks back and thinks that the best days of their life are behind them, that they would look forward with expectancy. Not that the days will look the same in the days to come, but that they'll be good because You're there. With an excitement, God. I just ask that if any of us are living in our past apart from You, or if any of us are imagining our future apart from You, God, that You would remind us that You're there in both. That our past, apart from Your forgiveness, is a lie. Our future, apart from Your presence, is a lie. That's where anxiety and regret come from. Regret comes from remembering my past apart from His forgiveness. Anxiety comes from imagining my future apart from His presence. And He wouldn't have us live in regret or anxiety. So God, I just thank You for that. I thank You that we look forward towards the future, excited about what You'll do, even if we don't know why, but because we believe You and we trust You, God. That we have a peace that really does pass understanding. That's not based on our ability to answer every question. It's based on our ability to trust the One who can. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name.